0: Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. I want to circle back around to a passage that we quoted this morning, but we'll look at it and go a little bit deeper with uh, some thoughts in the book of uh, Philippians. You know, a person will generally talk about what's occupying his mind, and what's occupying his mind is typically what, what you will hear him speak of or mention. Now, Paul's in prison as he writes this letter, so we know things are not going well for him. Uh, Paul's in prison with all the hardships that go along with being in prison. In addition to that, if you read through this passage, his friend Epaphroditus, who had sent some things to him from the Philippians, has gotten really, really sick. He almost died. Because of this sickness, Paul is having to send him back to, the, ...to Philippi, and so he's losing one of his helpers here. He's sending him back because he's really concerned about his health. We know that Timothy's there. So we look at this, and we, we see what he's talking about. He's not talking about his hardships. He's not talking about his hope of freedom. There's some recurring themes here, so we know what Paul's mind was saturated with... ...and what just filled his mind and filled and occupied his attention and his focus... And see if you catch it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that is be- he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains And in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, and to all the rest, my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? In every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word that you give to us. And Father, we ask that as we look into your word, that you would teach us some more things about the gospel. Father, help us to have the gospel on our minds as a church and as individuals. Father, we ask you to show us ways and new ways that we can promote the gospel where we are and help those who are doing other things around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The gospel is mentioned four times in this passage of Scripture and several more times in the letter that he writes to the Philippians. Preaching Christ is mentioned three times, which, of course, is the same as the gospel, right? It's just a different way of saying it. Speaking the word is mentioned once. Paul is thinking as he's sitting in prison with everything else that's going on, his mind is saturated with the spread of the gospel. Two things we look at, and we noticed this this morning, and I want to mention it as we just made our mention about uh, the associated work and the mission department and the missions offering. Let's look at the fellowship of the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel can mean two things. You know, we think about fellowship, we think about being together and communicating together and sharing together. And so I would say the first point is the fellowship of the gospel is indeed a union of our hearts. The fellowship of the gospel, the union of our hearts. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. In verse 7, it is right for me to think of you because I have you in my heart. Your fellowship in the gospel means that you are in my heart. And as mentioned this morning, they were 800 miles away. And he was in as much of a different place as anybody could be than the people who were comfortable back home in Philippi. But they shared a bond together, and they shared a union of hearts. And you see, our fellowship with other believers, when we really have this fellowship, will span distance. You know, there have been times in the past where our church has been partnered with several different congregations years ago, years ago, 30-something years ago, the ladies' Sunday school class became partners with Ricardo Ramirez of the Garifuna congregation there in Honduras. And there was a union of hearts there between our church and, and his church. And then I was able to go over and, and spend some time there with the Garifunas. And Ricardo just loves our church. He, he loves our church. And the room that he's built onto his house, which the ladies' Sunday school class at Bristol Baptist Church helped fund, he has a room for visiting speakers, visiting preachers, and pastors, and evangelists. And you know what he calls it? The Bristol Room. There's a, a fellowship of a, a union of hearts. And then, of course, it spans distance but also culture. Song service in Garifuna Land is not like the song service at Bristol. Uh, they have drums. They have this guy with a big turtle shell. He plays the turtle shell. I mean, they they have uh, it's all kinds of different keyboard. They have some music in there. Uh, when we went to Honduras, uh, we had a construction crew that went up to Honduras up in the highlands of Honduras. And a lot of times, and, and those of you there remember, we were singing the song service, and and they were singing the tune of one of our hymns. We were singing over here in in English. And they were singing over there in Spanish, but we were having some good church. Why? Because, you know, the fellowship of our hearts spanned the culture. We we were so different. We were so different in color. We were so different in language. We were so different in culture. We were so different in, in our economic backgrounds. We were, we were so different in every other way, but we could worship together because there was a union of heart. And it spanned... A, All the barriers, whether it be distance or culture or race or language, it spanned all of those. It just reached across those. That's what the fellowship of believers does. And so when we talk about the fellowship of the gospel, we talk about the family of the gospel because we share so much. And wherever you are around the world, wherever you are around the world, and you get with other believers, there's a common bond there. We felt it in in Ghana, uh, West Africa. You know, you feel it. Uh, when you go to other states, when you find these, that's what the fellowship of the gospel is all about. But now, fellowship of the gospel, as I mentioned this morning, is also the sharing of burdens. This word fellowship has a lot of different meanings in the Greek. It could also mean your participation in the gospel or your partnership in the gospel. And uh, two things that that means when we start sharing each other's burdens whether it be together here or sharing the burdens of somebody over there to help out with a mission uh, congregation somewhere else in the country around the world. Uh, I want you to remember how all this started uh, with the Apostle Paul and the Philippians. If you'll turn back to the book of Acts chapter 16. It seems to be kind of a casual thing, but I think it's very important for us to uh, look at the language that's used because that is definitely the fellowship of the gospel in action. Acts chapter 16. And we'll, we'll just go down to verse 6. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, In a vision appeared that Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. After we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to, listen to this, preach the gospel to them the fellowship of the gospel, come to Macedonia and help us. Well, you read the next few verses and you realize they went here, they went there, and finally they ended up in Philippi and there they stayed. So they, they came to Philippi because of an invitation of a man in a vision, come help us. And you see, that's what the fellowship of the gospel is. It's working together to do what we could never do by ourselves. Now, Paul points this out in verse 27 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Fair familiar passage of Scripture. I quote this quite often, but I think it's very good to get a well-rounded view of what he's talking about with the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit." One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Working together for the gospel. The fellowship of the gospel. And then on over in chapter 4, verse 2, just about a page over where you are. I implore, Euodia... And I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Help these women who labored with me and the other fellow workers. There's three things he talks about concerning working together. A fellow worker, somebody who works with you. Help these women. Of course, that's what the fellowship of the gospel is about. Who labored with me. Of course, we look at the fellowship of the gospel, and sometimes we want to look at the big grand scheme of things. That's great. But just imagine here what we can do here and what we have done here working together. What kind of different picture would it be in if there's just 200 people around here just freelancing it all by ourselves? And everybody trying to serve God in our own little way. But when we come together in the fellowship of the gospel, we can do a whole lot more. And my, how much gets done around here because of the fellowship of the gospel? It's 200 people or so that are kind of active in our congregation most of the time. And we all come together and we work together and how much more we could do if everybody was just doing their own thing all by themselves? That's why it's so important to know the fellowship of the gospel is working together, but also the fellowship of the gospel is sharing our resources. And that's where we came down to the offering today. In chapter 4, verse 10 of Philippians, he wrote this letter as a thank you letter to them uh, in part. And he says this, chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care as me has flourished again, though you certainly did care but lacked opportunity. Then look at verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you did send aid once and again for my necessities. They regularly sent aid for his necessities. And so he was writing him a thank you letter. It's quite interesting if you look in verse 15, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that's when we know when he says gospel, he's not just talking about the gospel message as we mentioned this morning. Christ died for sinners according to the scripture, was buried and rose again according to the scripture. He's talking about the work of the gospel. How do we know that? Well, the gospel message had been around way before Paul accepted Christ and definitely way before Paul left Macedonia. And he says, the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, in other words, saying the beginning of my missionary journey. That's what he was talking about. So, you know, he uses that as, not only the message of the gospel, but the whole work. And he's talking about they shared their resources with him. Now, we ask the question, what are we willing to offer to the fellowship of the gospel? Uh, what What are we willing to do? Come to Macedonia and help us. What are we willing to do? Uh, when it comes to things around here, there's, there's plenty to do, isn't it? There's there's plenty of work in all kinds of different areas, whether it's teaching, whether it's encouragement, whether it's cooking, whether it's uh, building, whether it's power tools and those kind of exciting things, all of that, you know, what, are, what, what, what can we do? And then it's like, what can we spend? What can we spend? So we realize, what, what can I give, uh, what can I do for the fellowship, partnership of the gospel? And, of course, when we look at that, most of us have the, have the easiest way to share, and that is when we say, here, let me write a check and send that over to the missions department. Now, we might say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know how hard it is for me to write a check. You don't, you don't know what, what kind of check I may have written. Writing a check and giving cash is about the easiest thing we can do for the partnership of the gospel. Let me just say it, and I've said it before. You know how many friends of ours have grandkids that are halfway around the world on the mission trip, on the mission field? Now is it that hard to write a check? When they go to the airport, wave goodbye to their little grandkids and their kids, and they're going way off over somewhere. Isn't it a lot easier? write a check, to go to the airport, wave goodbye to somebody. So we understand that doing that, really, that's not near the sacrifice of packing up your family and moving across the world or moving across the country. Uh, God hasn't called us to do that, has he? But he's called us to help those people that do. And so let's make sure that we can share in their work as well. But there's one more thing that we notice, the fellowship of the gospel, it does require an investment. It requires an investment of of energy and time and our resources, our stuff, whether it be things or whether it be money. But look in verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. We have the fellowship of the gospel, and then Paul is interested in the furtherance of the gospel. Now, he's talking about his incarceration. He's talking about the fact that he's been in jail. He had given up freedom for the cause of Christ. Like I said, writing the checks a lot easier than being stuck in jail, but he had given up his freedom, and he didn't regret it. He said, I made a good trade. I made a real good trade. I lost my freedom, but the gospel's being furthered. He said, more people are preaching Christ. More people are preaching Christ more emphatically and more intently. And more people are doing that. And he says, and I'm rejoicing in that. He considered a good trade that Christ is preached because of him giving up his freedom. We're not talking about a check. and We're not talking about the inconvenience of of having to do a little work over here. We're talking about he was in jail. For the cause of Christ, he said, I made a good deal because the gospel is being furthered. Wow, what a sense of priorities. He didn't regret a bit of it. As he talked to the Corinthian Christians, he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, I will gladly spend and be spent. What a heart for the gospel. I will gladly spend and be and be spent. How how could he be that obsessed and saturated with the gospel? Well, he knew of its worth. That's where we close in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Verse 15, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'll trade anything for the furtherance of the gospel because it's the power of Of God unto salvation. When we as an individual or we as a church want to see the power of God, all we have to do is invest in the fellowship and furtherance of the gospel, and we begin to see the power of God at work. That is the power available to the church, that is the power available to our Christian lives. That is where it's worth our investing is to spend and be spent for the fellowship and the furtherance of the gospel. Is there anything before we close? Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you for coming.